In the meantime, I hope that come. I hope that Debbie and Robin start taking better pictures. Not that your pictures were that bad, but you know, yeah, you gotta be careful what we couple say. Couple right? of guidelines might be helpful. <laughs> Welcome to the Winnie and Bill Chat Podcast. This is episode 22, and this is My Sister Got a Camera, part two. So recently, both Bill's sister and my sister got new cameras, and they've asked us if we would help them to learn how to take better pictures. So last week's episode of our podcast and this week's podcast episode are dedicated to Debbie and to Robin. And we're going to talk about um, some basic composition rules for taking good pictures. But before we get going, we want to thank Anchor Podcasting Platform. They're a free uh, podcasting platform you can access from your computer or from an app on your phone. It's pretty easy to do. We, If we can do it, you can do it. So thank you, Anchor. Thanks again, Anchor. All right. So last week we talked about... Um, rule of thirds, um, filling your frame with interesting stuff, filling your picture with, uh, interesting stuff, naturally framing your subject within the picture and how to use reflections to make good pictures. So we're going to move on from there today and talk about some other things to consider when you're taking pictures, either with, um, your new camera or with your cell phone or whatever you have to take pictures with. So let's dive right in, Bill. Diving in. Number one. So the first thing we're going to talk about is point of view. You'll sometimes see this abbreviated as POV. And uh, do you want to describe this picture? This very first picture is a picture of uh, some wild irises. That we took I don't think these of. are wild. I think these are, are domesticated iris that grow right here at Park of the Pines. Come on, Winnie. They do. They grow, by, yeah, they grow by the lodge. <laughs> okay. So they're domesticated. And it's, can you describe the point of view? Like what's in the picture? Yeah. So there's several iris in the picture, but um, we um, focused in on one particular flower. Uh, that seemed to have more characteristics uh, that we wanted to have as a, have as our subject. Um, the picture is taken side view of the flowers. Right. So you see them as if you were sitting or standing right next to them and looking so, yeah, like a right profile of the picture itself. Yeah. This is, um, I think this is a pretty picture. The contrast of that green. In the picture and the purpley blue colors of the flowers. And there's some buds too that haven't opened up yet. Right. Um, so this is a good picture, I think. But when you take a picture of something you find interesting, I think it's always a good idea to take it from multiple points of view. So, um, and by that, I mean different angles. So this is a good picture of Iris. And if you go to our next picture, and you can look at our pictures on our Instagram account, Quiet Shutter Photo, and um, you can look at what we're talking about, and uh, you can either follow along looking at the pictures, or you can look at them later on when you have a chance. 
So this second picture is of the same iris, only it's the picture is taken from above looking straight down into the iris. Right. So what do you think of this picture, Bill? I like this picture. It's got all kinds of texture. It's got bright color. Um, You can see some little little droplets of moisture inside of the flower if you look closely. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, like you say, it's a whole different angle than the previous picture. Both good pictures. Both good pictures, just simply different angles. So different points of view. Um, this is a quite a bit of a close-up compared to the other. Um, yeah, the first picture, I'm kind of toggling back and forth from one to the other. The first picture is, I, I kind of love the color combination of the green and the, and the purples and you know, you can see that some of the leaves of the iris have almost like zebra striping on them, but I didn't necessarily notice that as I looked at it first. When I looked at the second picture where you're looking straight down into the flower, boy, that detail of that striping in the leaves really stands out. It's very prominent there that you wouldn't, like you say, unless you look back and forth at the two pictures, um, you're seeing the backside of the leaf on the first picture. So you're only seeing like the back of that image. Mm-hmm. And, and in the second picture, you're seeing the, the detail of the inside of the flower itself. Um, so, so Bill had mentioned in our previous episode that every picture should tell a story. And in this first picture, the story is that there's a whole bunch of iris clumped together and how pretty they are. The second picture is telling the story of how beautiful one individual flower is. At least that's how I take it. What do you think, Bill? Yeah, that's that's the way I would take it. I, I mean, um, so this picture is uh, just shows more detail as far as I'm concerned. Uh, a little more texture than you would see the other other one, but um, they're both they're both, both good. good. Pictures. Both have their both have both their place. Tell, both tell a story, really. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I think you should always, if you have time, I mean, sometimes if you're taking pictures of wildlife or you only have that few seconds to get that picture, but if you have a subject that's being cooperative or a subject like flowers that aren't going to move away from you, it's a good idea to take, you know, more than one picture and get different points of views, different angles, and uh, you never know which one in the end you're going to like the best. Right. Right. And if you can, if you have the ability to really zoom on as a picture, the uh, inside petals of this flower actually looks like hairs, like feather hairs there. It's quite, quite a bit of texture in this actually. Are you talking about the yellow? No, the white, the, the very center. Oh, zooming way in. Zooming way in. You can actually tell. Oh yeah. And uh, I guess that's what I like about some zoomed in, some close up pictures as you can see. The, re- the real detail of um, flowers and insects and di- different things that what makes them tick. Sure. But it's again, and you you will agree, I think, Bill, that um, even when we're out taking pictures of wildlife, sometimes it's really great to get a picture that zoomed in as close as you can and get those details that you don't normally get to see. But also it's a good idea to zoom out and take a different point of view so you can get context of, you know, this, um, 
this animal was in this setting. Yeah. Yeah. Because what I like to think is, oh, this, this is a picture inside of a picture. We're, again, telling two different stories. Um, for instance, in our previous episode, we had a picture of a white-tailed deer pretty close up of its head. Um, and we talked about how we had found that deer um, in the Upper Peninsula under an apple tree eating apples. And I didn't have an example of it in that um, series, but I'm sure that we had some pictures that were pulled back a bit so you could see the deer and the apple tree versus right. just seeing the deer close up. Right. So it's always good to think of different points of view, um, close up, further out, an angle above, an angle below. The other thing to remember is um, generally when you're looking at our pictures on Instagram, they're square. But um, in our catalog, they are not square. They're either vertical or horizontal. And if you have time when you're taking a picture, it's also a good idea to make sure to get some vertical and some horizontal. Of the same subject. Of the same subject. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, Jim Doty, who teaches the photography workshop here at Park of the Pines once a year, tells a story about how he was once contacted by a um, magazine publication that had seen a picture he'd taken. And I don't remember what the picture was of. But uh, they loved the picture. It may have been actually Bryce Canyon, now that I'm thinking about it. And they wanted to use his picture in a magazine article, but um, the picture that he was showing was vertical and they wanted a horizontal. So they wanted to know if he had um, that very same setting in a horizontal. And he was able to go back into his files and find absolutely he had taken the time to take the picture both vertically and horizontally. So when they contacted, he was able to sell them one of his images. Yeah. And sometimes it's just, it's amazing sometimes how um, doing vertical versus horizontal, how you will sometimes frame the picture better. Yeah. Sometimes you will just, it'll just be a, a totally different look to the same subject. Absolutely. Um, and we just shot a wedding not very long ago and, uh, and especially for something's like something like a wedding, we try to make sure to get each picture vertical and horizontal. And uh, it for that kind of a situation, it really is important. Um, often the bride and groom will choose something based on, you know, I really prefer the horizontal that gets a little more in on either side of us, or I just want us and then the vertical just clips everything else out or whatever the case is. Right. So right. another thing to think about when you're taking pictures is try to remember to do both vertical and horizontal. Right. And change up your point of view. Change it up. Often we take pictures. Uh, we do this. Um, everybody does this. You end up with the exact same pictures that other people are taking, especially say you're on a road trip and you're taking pictures of landmarks, you know, famous landmarks along the way. Um, so you want to try and think about how can I take that picture at an angle or in a way that hasn't been done a hundred times before me. Yeah. Cause especially if you go to a national park or something like that, I mean, obviously there's, there's lots of spaces um, that have been photographed a lot. So uh, we just kind of take it as a personal challenge to try and do something different that we haven't personally seen or something that strikes us different than, somebody else's uh, yeah. image. I mean, how many pictures of old faithful have been taken 
from the point of view of sitting on the benches and watching them, you know, just right. Yeah. And they all look exactly the same. We have done that. Yes, we have. And if we go back to Old Faithful, we need to take a hike and get a picture of it from the backside with the crowd behind it, maybe. Or, yeah, um, I think that that hike goes a little bit, um, has a little elevation. Maybe you could get a little higher up and get a picture of Old Faithful. You might be able to shoot down it a little bit. Yeah. I, you know, we haven't done that hike yet, so I'm not sure that that's the case, but. Um, yeah, always be searching for a unique point of view that isn't the common one. But be safe. Oh, yes, be safe. Don't be crazy. Yeah, that's something you should take to heart, Bill, because I've seen you do some crazy things for pictures. Yeah, I'm speaking for others. Yeah, take it to heart yourself. Okay. So looking at this next picture, Bill, do you have any idea what composition rule um, I'm using this to exemplify? Um, this, I would say this, is, first of all, this is a picture of a cherry orchard on the old P- mission peninsula in the springtime when it's in bloom. Yep. Probably April, late April. Yeah. Um, I would call this the, the, uh, rule of leading lines. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. This is a, I'm using this one as an example of leading lines. Um. The trees are, the picture shows the end of an orchard. So you see the last row and then you see sort of a grassy field next to it. But the trees lead up a little bit of a rise and down over that hill. Um, The sky above it is filled with um, clouds. Um, The blooms on the cherry trees are white. Yep. Are some cherry trees blooms pink? Yes. Does it depend on the type of cherry? Yeah, and I, I think it depends on how open the bloom is. I think they oh. all kind of look pink when they first start to open. Okay. And then when they're fully open, the blossoms fully open, they're white. Especially from a distance, they're this white. Is, this is a very pretty picture and I'm I'm this is one that I've got in my head to paint someday. I think this it would, would be make a, a beautiful one. painting. So um, leading lines. Wait, I'm going to do the square. Oh, with your fingers? Yep. That oh, would be a I, I gorgeous you picture. This. You're going to want to do it with a rectangle. Oh my God, there. you're making a pumpkin shape with your fingers. <laughs> I got to teach you how to make that square. Okay. <laughs> Just saying, I think it would be nice with the pumpkin shape. <laughs> So this, um, the leading line in this picture is the fact that you see that row of trees and that creates um, your eye almost wants to start in the left-hand corner and follow that line of trees where it disappears way into the distance. Where is it going? Where is it going? We need to get over there and find out. I know. That's what makes the picture interesting. That's the leading line. It leads you forward. It leads you across the picture and makes you wonder what, how far does that go? What's beyond that? Blue skies, it looks like. Blue skies, for sure. If you're ever in northern Michigan in the springtime um, and you want to see something beautiful, take a little drive around Traverse City area and the Leelanau Peninsula and the Old Mission Peninsula and see the cherry trees in bloom. It's pretty spectacular. Yeah, it, it is well worth the drive. Also, at that very exact same time, 
the uh, wild trillium flowers are in bloom on the forest floor. Right. Which so is that another would be one. in May, actually. Yeah. So, said, yeah, you're right. That's I said April earlier, but it would be May, like mid-May. Yeah. We're a sucker for those trilliums every year. Yep. I mean, winter is so long, and by the end of winter, you're so sick of, of colorless landscapes that once things start to green up and then you see those beautiful white trilliums in the green foliage in the forest, you just can't resist it. Yeah, it's the, the hope of spring. The hope of spring. So let's go to the next picture. Okay. So <laughs> describe what this picture is, Bill. <laughs> This is a little boy that's staring at the camera. And I think he may have just stuck his finger in a light socket because his <laughs> hair is sticking up like a dandelion that's gone to seed. It looks like a dandelion. <laughs> yeah, This is our nephew, little Kingston. He's, uh, he's a few years older than that now, but he was, boy, a baby. Yeah, he couldn't have been very old. And when his hair came in, it did. It came in sticking straight up and looked like a dandelion. And in this picture, the light is catching him from behind, which is lighting up that blonde dandelion hair even brighter. This is a funny picture. This is a fun picture. I hope you get a chance to see it. But um, this is an example of taking advantage of light. Yes. And this might actually, this maybe should have been one of our very first um, composition, uh, taking better pictures rules to follow. And photography is all about light and finding light and having enough light to light up your, your picture and bring out the colors. So you should always be paying attention to the light. And when the light is dramatic, whatever that means, a sunset or a sunrise or sun that is catching and lighting something up like this child's hair yeah or sun breaking through the clouds or you know yeah those types of dramatic light is it's always fun to be able to take pictures yeah that's that happening. makes for a very dynamic and interesting picture so pay attention to the light even this uh, this child in this picture there's light reflecting in his eyes making them sparkle and you can tell he's full of mischief yep and it's gotten more crazy as he got older, too. <laughs> yes, Little Kingston started junior kindergarten this year. And uh, it is going to be an adventure, I think. Today was the second day. And I'm I'm betting by next week he will get sent to the principal's office. <laughs> He's such a jokester. He is. The kid will do anything for a laugh. Yes. Yeah, he's... um. He has a smile, though, and you only see a little bit of his smile real, really here in this picture. But this kid has a smile that lights up his entire face. Oh, yeah. And it, you just it's got, a huge smile. It's just amazing. He's how, got the kind of smile that just it shows all over his whole body, yep, you know? Yep. His body actually will twitch a little bit when he's <laughs> laughing yeah. and his eyes almost go shut. He's, he's smiling so much. Hard, yeah. Yeah. My mother, his uh, great-grandmother was uh, saying that what a shame they have to start school wearing masks because of the coronavirus. And uh, she said, the teachers are never going to see his fantastic smile. And I said, oh, there's no denying Kingston's smile, even if it's hidden by a mask. His whole face lights up. Yeah. Yeah. You can smile with his eyes, that one. Absolutely. So, 
So then our next picture is also a picture that um, is an example of paying attention to light and taking advantage of light. Um, this is a picture of Bill, of you. And I remember this day, this was middle of winter and you had been out, boy, the first couple of years that we were here at Park of the Pines, maybe more than a couple of years. four years. Yeah. You had to plow snow with the Kubota tractor. Right. So that meant you had to put on a snowsuit and bundle up with a hat and mittens and it was cold. It was, and there's a lot of parking lot and roadway to plow here. Um, and so it was not necessarily a fun job. And you had come in from a cold, uh, cold day of plowing and heated up some soup for yourself and sat down on the sofa to eat your soup. And there was a rare moment of sunshine in the sky in the middle of winter in northern Michigan. And it was uh, shining through the window on the door on kind of to the to the side of you and the back of you. And it lit up the steam that was coming off of your soup and just made for an interesting picture. I looked over at you and I saw that soup and the steam coming up and I said, oh, hold Don't that move. pose. Don't move. Don't move. Don't eat that soup. You wanted that soup bad. <laughs> you will eat that soup when I tell you to eat that soup. <laughs> In any case, I snapped a picture and I love this picture of you eating your soup. The light lighting up the steam, lighting up the back of your head and some of your wild hairs. Yep. You, I'm sure, had had a, had a knit stocking cap or something on to keep yourself warm prior to the picture. So pay attention to the light and take advantage of dramatic lighting. Yeah, it's amazing how we've often taken some pictures on an overcast day and, you know, the pictures are okay, but all of a sudden you'll get a a light shining on your subject or nearby. And it's like a whole different world. It's just, it's exciting to wait for the light. Yeah. Without good lighting, you just don't have the colors and the textures that you do when you have, when the lighting is right. Right. Now there are times when muted lighting or overcast days are good to take pictures of like flowers, um, Nobody wants to have an overcast day for their wedding, but it does make for good, consistent pictures without a lot of shadows in people's faces and that kind of thing. Right. I was just going to say that the advantage of a of a gray day is that there are no shadows to worry about. Right. But a gray day, but not a dark day. Right. You know? Um, right. Yeah. So there are times, and that's still light, that's soft light. Yep, just soft light. So there are times where strong dramatic light is is a good thing and there are times when that softer light is a good thing you kind of have to evaluate you know what kind of light do i have and what's going to be the best pictures for that kind of light right so moving on our next, next picture, picture yikes is one that's meant to illustrate depth of field and we might get a little bit into the weeds on this depth of field is the amount of um, what is in focus in your picture and what is blurred in your picture. And when you get uh, for Debbie and for Robin, when they start to really get down deep into to their camera functions and they decide to start playing around with their manual focus and their manual settings, 
There are ways that you can manipulate your camera to have just a sliver of your picture in focus and the rest blurred. And that blur is called bokeh or bokeh, some people say. Um, and there are ways that you can set your camera where you have almost everything in focus. So you can manipulate that. But um, a lot of really good pictures take advantage of having the exact part of their picture in total focus so that that's what people see and the rest of it blurry to complement that picture. Now, do you think I've described that well enough, Bill? I think you have. In this picture that we're looking at actually is the head of a snake. And just the, the uh, front of the snake's face and eyes and nose are in focus and everything else. You can see more of the detail of the snake, but it's as it goes further back into the body of the picture, the, uh, it, it fades in, uh, gets blurry, um, but so, it makes the, the front of the picture pop. Right. So this is another way to um, sort of manipulate the uh, way that people look at the picture, that they, um, you know, they tend to follow the subject to where it's uh, most in focus. And, uh, and so you can kind of manipulate how people see that picture. Right. Now you can easily get too tight and have virtually nothing in focus. So you have to play around a little bit. And sometimes you got to open, uh, open your settings up a little bit so you get more in focus, but, um, right. And I think, you know, maybe down the road, if we find that people are interested, we'll get more into the weeds on how to set those settings on your cameras. Some cell phones nowadays are so advanced that they will have settings, and I'm not sure what they call them, but maybe they call them depth of field settings, um, so that you can take pictures that are like that, that your subject is in focus and the rest is blurred. And that does make for a very interesting, almost three-dimensional picture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to our next picture because it's another example of using depth of field to your advantage. You want to describe so this, this one, next Bill? picture is actually a picture of a young boy um, with uh, he's got his hand turned kind of up and down, almost vertical. And he has a grasshopper on the end of his one finger and he's staring at the grasshopper and his hand and the grasshopper are in focus and he is not really in focus, but it gives real uh, depth. Um, uh, it gives depth to the picture. Yeah. 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 This, do you remember this? Uh, this was here at Park of the Pines. Someone was staying on the campgrounds and um, his son found this grasshopper and he kind of was playing with it. And this grasshopper kind of became his pet for a whole day and a half. Yeah. It wouldn't leave him. <laughs> yeah. This grasshopper just hung around. I don't know how they, what they did with him overnight, but this grasshopper just crawled on his hand and, He'd carry him on his shoulder and it was. Yeah, he was. Uh, well, he's the color of the grasshopper. This this uh, boy is actually wearing a, a kind of a gray T-shirt and the grasshopper was almost the same color as the T-shirt. And I don't know if he just felt like he's at home. He felt like he had blended <laughs> in or what. But when I I'm zooming in really close on the grasshopper and the grasshopper is in very good focus. And it's interesting, their faces look so prehistoric when you get a good close-up look at a grasshopper. 
Yeah. Those antennas are segmented and, oh, they're just weird looking creatures. But you can also see um, this kid's fingernails needed a manicure, but you can see um, all of the texture and even parts of his fingerprint. You also that, see that's his how, eyelashes. If you get yeah, eyelashes. now that his face though is more blurred in the picture. Right. I mean, not blurred to the point that you can't tell that it's a young boy in the picture. Right. But certainly blurred enough that you can tell that the focus of this picture is his fingers and the grasshopper. Yep. That's a fun picture. It's a fun picture. Let's go to the next one. This is actually this picture I have as my screensaver on my cell phone. I liked it so well. Um, this is a picture of a monarch butterfly on a clump of lavender flowers. They're not lavender, but they are lavender colored flowers and uh, green with a green foliage background. And I've chosen this picture to illustrate paying attention to making use of warm tones and cool tones in the same picture. So in this picture, Bill, what would you say are the warm tones and which would you say are the cool tones? Well, I would say that the warm tones would be the orange in the monarch and the orange in the flowers. And the purple in the flowers would actually be the cooler of the tones. And surrounded by all of that green foliage, which also right. would be the cool tones. Cool. <laughs> So this, anyways, this butterfly and flowers is a good example of the use of warm and cool tones in the same picture. And it's, it's makes for an interesting picture because it's kind of like having opposites. Right. So this next picture also shows uh, warm and cool tones in the same picture. This is a sunset picture of the lighthouse at Lake Charlevoix. Um, in Charlevoix, in the right harbor in, in Charlevoix, Charlevoix, yes. And the sun is right at the horizon, about to drop below the horizon. There's a, a sailboat in the picture and a lighthouse. This is a nice example also of where the horizon line has been dropped right low in the picture. So you see mostly sky and the sky is very dramatic because it goes from that nice orange and yellow hue at the horizon up to cooler blue tones and pink tones and purple tones. And it, it just makes for a beautiful picture. Do yeah. you remember being there, Bill, taking this picture? Yeah, because that sailboat in the picture is actually a big catamaran that they uh, do a tour, sunset tour all the time. Um, yeah, there was a lot of people, if you were able to zoom in on this picture at all, I think you can see There's there was a lot, a lot of people, of pe at the people end of the out pier. at the pier yep. um, that were watching the sunset. And there was even, and it might be hard to make out, but there were people who had their hammocks tied up under the lighthouse. Yep, I can see one of them hanging yeah. up there. And what I always find interesting is that people will stay for the sunset. And once the sun drops below the horizon, they are out of there. Yeah, that's the sunset. They clap and then they go home. And they move on. And the truth of the matter is often the best skies, the best sunset pictures happen 15 minutes to a half an hour after the sun sets. Right. As the world continues to rotate a little bit. Yeah. And the sun often. goes just around a little bit of the bend in the earth 
and reflects back up against the clouds and makes for a really dramatic sunset right. picture. Especially so, when you have clouds like that are in this picture. Yeah. These these types of clouds tend to really catch light and really light up. And you can even see in this picture that there's, um, you know, orange to pink to almost black, dark blue. There's a little bit of everything. It's, you just never know what you're going to get for light on something like that. Yeah. So another tip about taking good pictures is don't leave just as soon as the sun goes below the horizon. Stay Hang and see. You might get enjoy a, yourself. And you might get a second sunset. You never know. I think that that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We have extra pictures this week. Excellent. So when you look at our pictures on our Instagram, Quiet Shutter Photo, you might have to look at two posts to catch all of them. So you might want to pay attention when you're doing that. But these next, these next two pictures, which are our last two pictures of the day, are just meant to illustrate something that I find annoying. And that's when people take pictures and don't pay attention to getting the horizon straight. Oops. So in this picture, this is an example of not having a straight horizon. horizon. And it's, you know, it's sometimes I'm sure that I think this might be a picture you took, Bill. Oh, I don't. It probably is. And the picture is awesome because what it's showing, I'm sure you were laying on your, on your belly on the ground, right at the shoreline. And uh, you're on Lake Charlevoix and the, a little wave has come in and splashed up against some rocks and you've captured the water and the droplets in the air, suspended in the air with a sunset behind them. Right. It's, so it's an awesome picture. But when I look at it, all I can see is that it's crooked. <laughs> I do that to torture you, you know. I make crooked pictures too. And it's really easy in uh, using some post-production software on your computer. We use Lightroom and Photoshop, but there's other um, photography photo software that you can use to edit photos. Um, And generally they have a setting that's pretty easy to straighten up that horizon line and recrop it so that it's straight. It only takes a second to do it, but it really annoys me when I, I see people who post pictures that um, could be fantastic pictures, but their horizon is crooked. crooked. It looks like the lake should all drain over to the left-hand side. Maybe somebody had pulled the plug. <laughs> but once you do that, you you don't notice that it's that it's crooked, and then you notice the details and the you know the greatness of the picture. So pay attention to your horizon line. It does. It straightens the whole picture up. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Now it feels right. Better. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Again, as we've talked about in last episode, and I think we've mentioned in this episode, that there are artistic and compositional rules that are only a guideline because all rules can be broken. And sometimes when you break the rules, you get something that's very spectacular. It just works. Right. Now, in this picture of the water and the horizon, the sunset, it does not work. But if you move forward to the next picture, Bill. Okay. And this is a picture we took of a young lady for her high school senior pictures. And she was a self-professed bookworm. So several of her senior pictures were with her with a stack of books, reading her books. And another thing that was important to her is um, beaches on Lake Superior. Her family has a summer home on Lake Superior. So she wanted her pictures taken 
on Lake Superior. So this is taken. She's sitting on the beach on a blanket on the shore, the beach of Lake Superior with some burnt campfire logs behind her. And it's crooked. Yep. But, but it works. It works. So, and it's hard to describe why it works or or what, but um, take a look at her Instagram and you'll see the difference between the previous picture that has a crook, crooked horizon and this picture. And you can see that this one works. Um, when you do a picture that's crooked on purpose and it works, they call that a Dutch angle. I'm famous for Dutch angles. If you get your Dutch angle fingers in a rectangle instead of a square, <laughs> it works. You know, you can you can stifle your creativity if you're too too obsessed with worrying about all of the composition rules. Right. Um, so, I mean, take it as food for thought. And, uh, you know, try to pay attention when you look at photographs that you're drawn to on the Internet or on your Facebook or your Instagram, you know, and then try to analyze why do I like that picture? Why is it a good picture? What composition rules might that be using? Um, in this week's podcast episode, we've talked about points, point of view, leading lines, the use of light, depth of field, the use of warm and cool in the same picture. and then the tip of the day is paying attention to your angle. Um, don't make a crooked picture unless it's, unless it works. Unless it works. Yeah. So um, do you have anything to add, Bill, about uh, taking better pictures compositionally or otherwise? No, I just think that, uh, like we said in the first episode, that, that um, when you start to, um, look at things with a few of these um, guidelines in your head. You just start to look at things a little bit different than you normally would. And you can tend to find yourself shooting better pictures. I like how you said guidelines. That is a better, that is a better term than rules. Cause all of these things are just guidelines for um, things to consider to, to line up and take a better picture. But yeah. Not really a rule. Do right. what, you can do what you want. Yeah, it's just when things aren't going right, try this. Yeah, yeah. If this doesn't work or it's try something different. Yeah. Don't be afraid to try different things. Absolutely. And pay attention. Pay attention when you're out and about um, in the world to see what you think might make a good picture and why you think that might make a good picture. And pay attention when you're looking at, at other people's pictures or evaluate your own pictures. And figure out what guideline of composition that uh, worked in that picture to make it a uh, to make it stand out. Right. So we like to end our podcast with the picture that got away, or the picture we didn't take, or maybe just the picture that we didn't include today. Um, does anything jump out in your mind, Bill? Hmm. I have one. Um, we didn't include it in our group today, but it's an example of when a crooked angle worked or a Dutch angle. And it's a picture that you took um, several years ago. We were taking pictures of my girlfriend's son's wedding, Ryan and Amanda's wedding at Castle Farms in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And it was a picture we'd found. Castle Farms is, um, oh, it, it it's named properly. It looks like a castle. Um, I won't go into the history of why that building is there. And it's been um, 
a number of different had a number of different functions over the years, but now it is a event venue and it has lots of little alcoves and turns and nooks and crannies that um, you can take pictures and the building is all covered in rock, right? Fieldstone, yeah. Fieldstone. Cut, cut fieldstone, most of it. And there's steps and stairs. And anyways, we took the bride and groom around different places outside to take pictures. And we found a little alcove that was up a little set of stairs. And um, we got a picture of the bride and groom embracing. And then we got a picture where the groom's hand is sort of pulling up the back of her dress a little bit, just enough to reveal her garter belt. Mm-hmm. And you snapped the picture. And I don't know if you intentionally held the camera to get a Dutch angle, but it's taken at a Dutch angle and it really worked. And I think it almost worked because it was kind of such an intimate moment between the two of them. So it almost looked like a, a little sneak peek into a private moment. Do you think that's why that one worked or was also the angle of looking, you know, the photographer was below the couple. So you're shooting up. It was just, it turned out to be a really fun and good picture, but it was crooked. Yeah. Yeah, it worked. It worked. So you never know. Try lots of things. Right. So uh, we are going to um, not have a podcast for the next couple of weeks because we're going to let you all catch up. Uh, We've noticed that uh, some of you are trying to make your way through our podcasts And you haven't caught up to the ones that we have published. So we're going to give you a couple of weeks to get caught up to where we are. And then we'll start again. Does that sound right, Bill? Yeah. Yes. And we should have some uh, new subjects and and great uh, other things to just discuss and show you. And uh, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. In the meantime, I I hope that Debbie and Robin start taking better pictures. Not that your pictures were that bad, but you know. Yeah, you gotta be careful what we think. A couple say, of guidelines might be helpful. <laughs> All right. Talk to you in a couple of weeks. See ya. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.